You know, you don't have to vote anymore. Save your vote for the general election. Uh, what? From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPSK 90.7 FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Ohio, the Buckeye State, WGRN, 94.1 FM in Columbus. And up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Also coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk, in East Tennessee and blanketing planet Earth five days a week on Radio Sputnik. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly independent blogger, journalist, investigator, muckraker, troublemaker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Always glad to have you with us, uh, especially as voters once again, yes, they once again head to the polls today, no matter what Donald Trump there tells you, uh, in West Virginia and in uh, Nebraska for another presidential primary. We'll have full results of that tomorrow, whatever those results may be. And in West Virginia, of course, we'll have no re- idea if the results uh, are correct. We will never know if the results are correct because so much of West Virginia uses 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting system. So don't be surprised if you hear about votes flipping and everything else, everything else that we've been telling you about, warning you about for the past 10 years. They're still doing that in West uh, West Virginia because they hate their voters so much. But you know who hates the voters in West Virginia even more than the election officials who make them use those unverifiable touchscreen systems? Donald Trump is apparently no fan of the West Virginia voters. Now that Donald Trump is the presumptive GOP nominee, tomorrow's West Virginia primary is not exactly crucial. But that did not stop him from holding a rally there on Thursday to remind everyone of their important role in the democratic process. You know, you don't have to vote anymore. Save your vote for the general election, okay? Forget this one, the primary's gone. (laughs) Yes. It's an inspiring message. It reminds me of Patrick Henry's immortal battle cry, give me liberty or don't. Forget this one. I don't give a crap. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, uh, Donald Trump may not give a crap, uh, but I suspect both Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton do as they continue to compete in that presidential primary. Uh, also in uh, in Nebraska, as I said, they are voting as well. But it's Republicans only, Republican only primary today. 
Uh, Ted Cruz, interestingly enough, oh, he just he just can't quit this presidential election. Uh, he uh, he was on Glenn Beck on Tuesday, uh, and uh, Beck asked. Ted Cruz, if he would consider getting back in the race if he wins Tuesday's primary in Nebraska. The Texas senator told Beck that he would, quote, respond accordingly if again he sees a, quote, path to victory. Cruz also dismissed calls for a third party candidate as an alternative to Trump. Uh, He said, I don't think that's very likely. Well, about as likely as Ted Cruz getting back in the race, I suspect, or perhaps more likely than that. As I say, we'll have those uh, results tomorrow. Coming up in a little bit, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report with what does. This is one of those uh, reports that uh, just kind of blows my mind when it comes to climate change denialism. The the things that uh, you're going to cover in today's report <laughs> and the fact that you have guys, well, actually the uh, presumptive nominee of the Republican Party, Donald Trump, still calling climate change a hoax. Yes, it's kind of shocking in this day and age, but this is what uh, the American media has led us to today. We must be careful to not let Donald Trump hear the upcoming Green News report because uh, he may then have second thoughts, you know, because it's got facts and stuff in it. Would no hate, danger of that. Would hate that to happen. Yeah. Uh, also, what would you say if we knew, if we knew how to save the lives of half a million Americans a year, half a million Americans, but the Republican Party was actively, purposely working to stop that from happening, even though we knew we could save half a million Americans a year, but the Republican Party was stopping it. What would you say? Okay, now what would you say if Democrats were the ones stopping it? Well, I take no joy in saying so, but they are. We will discuss that with my guest shortly. Uh, Prepared, uh, I am anyway, uh, be prepared to be at least uh, half as angry as it makes me, and it really does. All right, uh, U.S. is not the only ones uh, having elections, of course, this year. Sadiq Khan, 45-year-old, was uh, declared the new mayor of London in the early hours of Saturday. He became the most powerful Muslim politician in Europe ever. Well, at least in recent history. Uh, He's a transport minister in the labor government of former Prime Minister Gordon Brown. And Khan came under severe attack during his campaign from his conservative opponent, Zach Goldsmith, for sharing platforms with extremists, as uh, Time magazine reports it, during his earlier career as a human rights lawyer. But uh, they had an interview with uh, Sadiq Khan. This is huge news that uh, that a Muslim has now become the uh, the mayor of London. And uh, Sadiq Khan was asked uh, about the conservatives um, that he had accused of using a Donald Trump playbook against him. Time magazine said, what's your uh, what's your view on a potential Trump presidency, given his remarks on Muslims? His response, clearly, he said, I'll visit uh, the U.S. before January in case Donald Trump wins. (laughs) He said, hope, I think, is a good way of persuading people and uh, enthusing people, I think, to try and look for differences, to try and turn communities against each other is not conducive to living successfully and amicably. 
Uh, he said, I think Bill de Blasio is doing interesting housing stuff in New York. Rahm Emanuel is doing interesting uh, stuff with Infrastructure Bank in Chicago. He said, I want to go to America to meet with them and engage with American mayors. If Donald Trump becomes the president, I'll be stopped from going there by virtue of my faith, which means I can't engage with American mayors and swap ideas. Conservative tacticians thought those sorts of tactics would win London, and they were wrong. I'm confident that Donald Trump's approach to politics won't win in America. Sadiq Khan may be a bit more confident than I am. And me as well. Yeah, I was thinking I exactly the same yep. thing. Uh, and there's uh, good reason uh, to not be quite so confident. Uh, in the Philippines, they also held an election. Uh, this was an election held on uh, on Monday where a brash and tough-talking mayor who has pledged to kill suspected criminals and end crime within six months looks like he is now set to become the next president of the Philippines. Uh, he has taken an unassailable lead in the unofficial vote count in the Monday election and in the vice presidential race there, the son of the late dictator Ferdinand Marcos now has a narrow lead in that race. But on the president's race, uh, Rodrigo Duterte, the mayor of the uh, southern Davao city, has secured more than 14.4 million votes. According to uh, the count now in 87 percent of uh, precincts, his closest rival had just 8.6 million votes. So it looks like Duterte is in. Now, who is Duterte, Rodrigo Duterte? Well, he has a reputation for fighting crime as Davao, uh, as mayor of Davao for 22 years. But he's been accused of ordering extrajudicial killings to achieve that. And on the last day of campaigning on Saturday, he made clear that he intends to continue that approach. Quote, all of you who are into drugs, you sons of bitches, I will really kill you. Wow. Said Duterte, 71 year old. He's a former prosecutor. He said this at a rally. He said, I have no patience. I have no middle ground. Either you kill me or I will kill you idiots. He's known for jokes about sex and rape, talking about his Viagra-fueled sex, uh, sexual escapades. He's threatened to dismiss the Philippine Congress and form a revolutionary government if he is confronted with uncooperative legislators. Outgoing President Benino Aquino III tried to discourage Filipinos from voting for Duterte over fears that the mayor may endanger the country's hard-fought democracy and squander economic gains of the last six years when the Philippine economy grew at an average of 6.2 percent, one of the best in Asia. Meanwhile, in the vice presidential race, uh, Senator Ferdinand Marcos Jr., the son of the former dictator who ruled the Philippines from 72 until he was ousted in 86 in a people-powered revolt, he leads with 12.6 million votes in the, uh, in the unofficial count. Vice presidents are elected separately from presidents in the Philippines. Uh, Aquino warned that Duterte could be a dictator in the making. Could be. Could be a dictator in the making. Urge voters not to support him. Filipinos have been hypersensitive to potential threats to democracy since they ousted the elder Marcos. But apparently there are not uh, not all that hypersensitive because it looks like Duterte is going to win. Uh, there are 100 million people in the uh, in the nation of uh, the Philippines, which I did not realize. Uh, and uh, a lot of them are apparently looking for radical change at the top. Sound familiar? Sound Certainly familiar? Certainly does, and not in a good way. <laughs> Duterte tapped into that discontent, pledging to end crime in half a year. 
even though police said it was impossible. Well, it depends on what tactics you use. Yeah, well, apparently. Uh, He has not articulated an overall foreign policy, but when the Australian and U.S. ambassadors criticized a joke that he made, and it's true, he made this uh, joke, and then he said it wasn't a joke, uh, about wanting uh, a joke about wanting to be the first to have raped an Australian missionary who was gang-raped and killed by inmates in a 1989 jail riot. When Australian and U.S. uh, diplomats criticized uh, him for that, he told them to shut up. Analysts predicted that a Duterte win would weaken the Philippine peso uh, due to his economic platform, and those jitters uh, have affected the stock market. It fell on Friday, the last day before Monday's election holiday, for the 10th time in 11 days. Political science professor... Uh, Richard Hadarian of De La Salle University in Manila said that Duterte is completely out of the system. He's out of the box. He said uh, in the mayor's portrayal of social problems, there's a gap between the rhetoric and reality, but it is working. It's creating panic among a lot of people and rallying them behind Duterte, who now looks like he will be, in fact, the next president of the Philippines. Sound familiar? Sound worrying? Well, it should. Uh, A couple of quick polling items before we get to a break, which underscores all of the above. PPP is out with a new poll uh, showing that Hillary Clinton is uh, is currently defeating uh, Donald Trump nationally by four points. Just four points, I should add, 42 to 38. Uh, Meanwhile, in that same PPP poll, Bernie Sanders defeats Donald Trump by 10 points. And one of the reasons I'm pointing to this particular poll is uh, to give credit, kudos to PPP, because they have now started including other candidates in their uh, head to head uh, general election matchups, I should say. Uh, Gary Johnson. Uh, for the Libertarian Party and Jill Stein for the Green Party, both likely to be the nominees for those uh, for those two parties. Uh, in both cases, in the in the case of uh, Hillary beating uh, Trump by four points, uh, the Libertarian Gary Johnson gets four points, Jill Stein gets two, and in the case where Sanders beats Donald Trump by ten points. Gary Johnson, uh, he loses a point. He gets 3%. And Jill Stein also loses a point. She gets just 1%. But uh, you know what? Good for PPP for starting to include all of the candidates who may be running uh, in in their polling. That said, we don't have national elections in this country. We have an electoral college and uh, a very few states, frankly, in that college that end up uh, determining who will become the president of the United States. A very few states that the candidates must win if they hope to win the presidency. Well, uh, now we've got some more disturbing polls along those lines in three of those key swing states. And this is a poll from a very good uh, pollster, the uh, Quinnipiac University poll. This poll finds uh, that in both Florida and Pennsylvania, which are key states for Democrats, Clinton leads Trump by just one point. She leads Trump 43 percent to 42 percent. Remember all those uh, Democrats who are giddy about uh, Donald Trump being the uh, the nominee for the Republican Party? Remember all the warnings I told you about not being quite so giddy? This is another one. So uh, Hillary Clinton leads by just one point in uh, Florida and Pennsylvania, according to the Quinnipiac poll. 
And um, she is losing by four points to Donald Trump in the state of Ohio. Donald Trump currently has 43% to Hillary Clinton's 39% in the swing state of Ohio. Uh, Now, when it comes to Bernie Sanders in that same head-to-head matchup, well, in Florida, where Clinton leads Trump by one point, Sanders leads Trump by just two points. But he still leads and, and leads by a little bit more. In Pennsylvania, where Clinton leads Trump by one point, Sanders leads Trump by six points. So there's that. In Ohio, where uh, uh, Hillary Clinton is losing to Donald Trump by four points, guess what? Bernie Sanders is beating Donald Trump by two points. little something that voters uh, may want to keep in mind as they head to the polls in West Virginia today, as they head, uh, head to the polls next week in Kentucky and Oregon, uh, and then in uh, a couple of weeks after that, out here in California, New Jersey, and elsewhere. All right, a quick break, and we are back with a, a maddening story about how Democrats, yes, Democrats, are working hard to help ensure that hundreds of thousands of Americans will unnecessarily die. Yeah, you heard me right. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Said someday you'll find all who love are blind. Oh, when your heart's on fire, you must be alive. Smoke gets in your eyes. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. Uh, late last week, the FDA uh, announced a new rule from the Food and Drug Administration concerning electronic cigarettes and that they will now be regulated much like tobacco cigarettes and their sale to children will be banned. This is according to the new rule issued last Thursday. Under the new rule, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration would have to approve all tobacco products not currently regulated that hit stores after February of 2007. Of course, the e-cigarette industry was virtually non-existent prior to February 2007. The Tobacco Control Act of 2009 sets that date of February 2007 as the latest date by which all tobacco products would have to 
be grandfathered in. Mitch Zeller, head of the FDA's Center for Tobacco Products, has said publicly that he could choose a later date. Uh, said that I'm sorry that he could not choose a later date, but industry officials disagree with him on that score. That means that nearly every e-cigarette on the market. And every different flavor and nicotine level would require a separate application for federal approval. Each application could cost $1 million or more, according to Jeff Steyer, an e-cigarette advocate with the National Center for Public Policy Research, and uh, according to other industry uh, officials. This is just Absolutely amazing. By way of full disclosure, uh, I was a smoker for uh, for years, for decades, frankly, and uh, e-cigarettes, what we prefer to call vaping, using uh, electronic vaporizer devices, uh, got me off of cigarettes literally, literally overnight, and I haven't turned back for years. Um, the idea that the, that the government officials here are going to make it more difficult for people to quit smoking by moving to vaping is something that absolutely makes my blood boil, particularly with uh, some half a million Americans. Never mind around the world, just in America alone, half a million Americans die from diseases related to cigarette smoking, not to use of nicotine, but to cigarette smoking in this country. Half a million Americans. And we could stop that with e-cigs or vaping. Now, uh, th that is unless officials, federal officials, state officials and city officials, uh, unless they keep making it harder and harder for people to switch to these far safer products. And they are, in fact, far safer. Scientists have uh, found this again and again and again. Most recently, just uh, just days ago, April 28, 2016, this is a report from the tobacco advisory groups of the Royal College of Physicians in the UK. The Royal College of Physicians in the UK, which is giving advice to the UK government, which is also considering various regulations on the use of, uh, of e-cigarettes. All right, what they say, a couple of key recommendations before I get to my guest here. Uh, the uh, Royal College of Physicians says that smoking is the biggest avoidable cause of death and disability and social inequality in health in the UK. They say that people smoke because they are addicted to nicotine, but they are harmed by other constituents of tobacco smoke. Provisions of the nicotine that smokers are addicted to without the harmful components of tobacco smoke can prevent most of the harm from smoking. Until recently, nicotine products such as patches and gums and so forth, and by the way, inhalers, have been marketed as medicines to help people quit. But e-cigarettes are proving much more popular than those uh, nicotine reduction uh, therapy devices, and they're proving more popular as a substitute and a competitor for actual tobacco cigarettes. There are concerns that e-cigarettes will increase tobacco smoking by renormalizing the act of smoking, acting as a gateway to smoking in young people. However, the Royal College of Physicians points out, to date there is no evidence that any of these processes is actually occurring to any significant degree in the UK. Rather, the available evidence to date indicates that e-cigarettes are being used almost exclusively as safer alternatives to smoked tobacco. 
by confirmed smokers who are trying to reduce harm to themselves or others from smoking or to quit smoking completely. The Royal College of Physicians goes on to say that a regulatory strategy should, therefore, encourage smokers to use the e-cigarette products instead of tobacco. In the interests of public health, they say it is important to promote to promote the use of e-cigarettes uh, and other non-tobacco nicotine products as widely as possible as a substitute for smoking in the UK. Yet, here in the US, federal regulators appear to be doing quite the opposite and I can't tell you of all the things we cover on the broadcast, uh, and I'm perhaps easily riled up by them. I can't tell you how much this has me riled up uh, in a way that I'm going to try to contain myself as I welcome my guest here. I'll let him get riled up for me. Chris Hughes is the owner of the Fat Cat Vapor Shop in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And he's president of the Pennsylvania chapter of the Smoke-Free Alternatives Trade Association. Chris Hughes, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hi, Brad. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, great to have you here. I've spoken to you uh, over the years, Chris, uh, about concerns about these regulations, about uh, about vaping. You've given me uh, some fine advice over the years. Uh, and I know that you're almost as troubled by these regulations now as, as I am, perhaps more so. W give me an idea. What will this new rule that the FDA is uh, getting ready to finalize here, or perhaps has already been finalized, what will this new rule require? And then we can talk about what the practical effects will be on businesses like yours and, and, and on the vaping industry overall and even on big tobacco. Sure. Uh, well, Brad, first of all, um, it's a very complicated piece of regulatory law. It's about 500 pages long. And um, what some things that we have been able to discern from it so far is that within 90 days, um, they will be, uh, it will be illegal to sell these products to minors which is great. I, I fully support minor bans. And in fact, um, that's kind of a testament to how up-to-date the FDA is in releasing this rule, because currently it's against the law in 48 of 50 states um, for minors to purchase these products. My state and Michigan are the only two. Uh, Michigan, it's, it's still legal for a child to buy an e-cigarette, because the American Cancer Society, mm -hmm. Heart Association, and Lung Association lobbied Governor Snyder last year to veto um, a very popular bipartisan measure that would have done just that. So the, you're not troubled by banning it for, for minors the way uh, cigarettes are, are banned for minors. You're cool with that part of the FDA's rule. I feel very strongly that these are products for adults, um, whether they contain nicotine or not. I know the National Institute of Drug Abuse released data in December um, indicating that the youth vaping rate had actually gone down by about 5% this year. Mm. Um, but more importantly, that 80% of the youth that were using these products were using nicotine-free products. Personally, I think if that is allowed, um, it cr creates obvious enforcement issues. Mm -hmm. um, we don't want uh, 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 and a law enforcement officer or somebody that would be trying to enforce, enforce a prohibition on a child having one to have to somehow tested on the spot to see if it contained nicotine. So we think they, these products 
are really just for adults and primarily for adult smokers. And and to be clear, for those people who aren't familiar with uh, with vaping and, and e-cigarettes, you get to, uh, unless you buy the ones that are largely made by the big tobacco companies, uh, most of the, the folks using these uh, vaping products out there can choose their own uh, their own juice. We call it juice. You could, this comes in thousands of different flavors, different nicotine levels, including zero nicotine levels. So what you're saying is uh, some kids are, are getting these vaping de- devices and and using them uh, to vape, even though there's no nicotine in them whatsoever. And and you suggest that's bad because law enforcement, you can't know. It doesn't have a sign on it whether there is uh, nicotine in this particular uh, juice or not, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, something else to consider when talking about youth vaping is that um, as this trend in youth vaping did increase Mm -hmm. for over several years, that youth smoking has actually fallen Mm -hmm. to the lowest level. I believe they just came out with new numbers, and I believe it's 8%. That's by far the the lowest number um, that youth smoking rate has ever been in the time that records have been kept. By far, which would seem to me to be an argument in favor of of vaping. I know that uh, you, you're against it for kids. My thinking, and of course, I know what I was like when I was a kid. My thinking was, uh, kids are going to smoke. Kids are going to smoke cigarettes. I would rather make it easier for them to vape uh, a, a much safer device than cigarettes. But okay. I'm uh, nothing if not uh, willing to compromise. If we have to pretend that we're going to keep them from kids, so be it. But keeping them from adults, which is likely to be the practical effect of this FDA law, is uh, this FDA rule, is quite another matter. So what effect, setting aside the, the, the age of business, what effect will this requirement now on all uh, p- people who make, uh, I guess, e-juice, as we call it, or the hardware that is used uh, to, to go through a federal regulatory process that could cost a million dollars per, what, per flavor, per nicotine level, per everything? Yeah, oh, before we even get to that, Brad, um, the other two things that go into effect in 90 days are a sampling ban. So that means, I know you've been to shops, I'm not sure if any of Mm -hmm. your listeners have ever been to a vape shop, but traditionally when you go in, there's a mechanism there for you to taste um, the liquid. Usually it's very low nicotine Mm -hmm. or no nicotine, Right. Um, and uh, the FDA is attempting to ban that. Um, and the other thing that it appears they want to put in place in 90 days is a total freeze on the market. So in 90 days, after 90 days, it is illegal um, to introduce a new um, vapor product onto the market. It, it would be illegal to introduce any new vapor product after 90 days? What, you mean yes, that, um, that would be a flavor, a strength, um, a- anything. Uh, new nicotine strength, a new device, yeah. Yeah, that appears to be the case. So um, they're trying to, to get everything under control so they can look at where it's at. Now, with respect to the pre-market tobacco application. Well, Chris, let me just ask you. You're saying it, it would be illegal unless they go through this process that could cost a million dollars to get approved. Is that right? Yeah, but, no, but the reality is that nobody has money to go um, through that process. Um, the application process is so onerous that uh, I know um, Jeff Steyer, you mentioned Jeff is actually a good friend of mine. Uh, Jeff is mentioning at least a million dollars, but the more realistic estimates that I've heard Mm -hmm. um, for the cost of that application process is five to nine million dollars, and that would indeed be for 
every flavor of e-liquid and then every subsequent strength of that nicotine strength of that liquid. So if there were four of those, the minimum cost um, to get that one e-liquid approved is $20 million. Um, there is no requirement by the FDA if, if a company had the money and did that work to actually accept their application. They, they have refused to accept many applications for, for various reasons. So, and then if they do accept the application, um, they're under no uh, pressure to uh, approve it. You know, so you could have spent $20 million. I mean, a small business could have gone out and, Mm -hmm. you know, mortgaged their house and their property and everything to get the money just to get one e-liquid flavor, and the the FDA would cavalierly just keep, you know, I I don't want to say keep their money because the money, um, to clarify something, the money doesn't go to the FDA. That is the cost to the business for attorneys and scientists that would prepare that report for you. Well, you say, uh, Chris Hughes, that there is uh, that that nobody has that kind of money they can't afford, that this will effectively kill the industry, but that's not entirely true. In fact, the big tobacco companies who have been uh, reluctantly but are now, uh, you know, getting into this uh, e-cig game and they uh, all all the big tobacco companies I think now have their own version of an e-cig and by the way, they're terrible. The ones I've tried uh, early on, uh, you know, I tried and went right back to smoking because they were so bad. Uh, you know, unlike the, the 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 mom and pop shops that are putting out actually good products. So, but the big tobacco, they can content, they can afford a, a million dollar application uh, process for their products, can't they? Won't will the end result here be that? Uh, you know, shops like yours and, and products that are actually made by people who hate big tobacco, they'll be put out of business and big tobacco will be right back uh, in the catbird seat uh, where they have been for decades in this country. Well, yes and no, Brad. I mean, um, if you look at the price of those Sig-like products, and that's what just mm-hmm. um, for anyone that's listening that isn't familiar with that term, mm-hmm. um, Sig-likes are a small, like usually disposable e-cigarette device that just looks like a cigarette. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the typical type of product that, that the large tobacco companies make. If you consider the cost currently to the consumer of those products, they're really, depending on what municipality you live in, oftentimes more expensive than smoking. Right. So let's not feel sorry for the tobacco industry or anything, but um, if they had to absorb millions and millions of dollars in application costs to get those products approved, um, obviously that price is going to be need to be reflected in in a new retail, higher retail, mm. and um, that the elasticity of the marketplace may not uh, be able to accept that. What if it was fifteen dollars for a Sigalike device that lasted you all day? And I mean, it's easy for us to attack the tobacco companies, and to a great extent we should. But something that I've always found odd is that they've made these products that are so deadly for so long. And when they've come, tried to come out to market with a product that is much less harmful, mm-hmm. they also get attacked for that. <laughs> well, Does that make sense? Well, I mean, shouldn't we be praising them for trying to participate in that market well, to yes. some extent? Well, to some extent, fair enough. Uh, if, if, they're, if those products that they made were better, uh, in, the, the non-tobacco uh, oh. products were better, I might feel differently about it. But the, the, the scenario you underscore, Chris Hughes, uh, shows the price of uh, the... Uh, e-cig, sigalikes uh, that the uh, tobacco companies make going up through the roof. And then guess what? Those of us who are addicted to nicotine, 
Well, if we can't afford those products, it's just back to smoking cigarettes again, back to the cancer sticks uh, that so many of us have been able to get away from in in the first place. I mean, that's what makes me absolutely... Actually, here's what makes me the craziest about all of this, Chris, is that the people, the advocates that I hear in this country, the, you know, that that are putting up these misleading uh, television commercials showing uh, children, uh, you know, with their e-cig products and so forth. Those are the same people who have successfully done a good job of getting uh, cigarettes more and more out of our society. They are supposed enemies of cigarettes and the tobacco industries, and those are the very same people who are making it harder for people like me and millions of others who are addicted to nicotine to get these products. So, you know, and so a lot of times it's Democrats, people who I would otherwise agree with. I had a city councilman on this uh, show a, a year or so ago, who I probably agree with on everything, had him on the day after the L.A. City Council had banned uh, e-cigarettes indoors, forcing, you know, people who had quit smoking to go out and hang out with the cigarette smokers. A caller called in and said that's like, you know, sending a a cocaine addict to, you know, to hang out with crack addicts in a crack house or something. I'm sorry. I'm off on a rant. Help me out. No, here, it is maddening. And and you know, I'll say you know to identify myself because your your callers obviously aren't familiar with me. You know, I'm a 51 years old, and I was a lifelong Democrat. I mean, my first experience voting in a presidential election, I voted for Walter Mondale against Ronald Reagan in, right. in 1984. Um, I went on to do to be involved in Democratic activism, political mm-hmm. campaigns, donations. Um, and that culminated in 2008 when my wife and I actually housed an Obama volunteer from another state and his fiance for two months in my house during the uh, during the 2008 election. Um, my views on Democrats have quite frankly changed, and it's become kind of a journey just because federally, particularly in the United States Senate, um, we have heard I have heard so many despicable lies come from the mouths of senators and i can you know um dick durbin Mm -hmm. is one of them these are people that i used to go on crooks and liars and give money to through the right through the uh project or blue america whatever it was yeah um sherrod brown is another one of them Mm -hmm. uh uh senator markey from massachusetts uh jeff merkley from oregon um barbara boxer and um and Diane Feinstein some of the most some of the, in on this some too. of the most progressive Democrats out there are doing this are behind this what what is the reason is this because of big pharma because they get money from uh, uh, big pharma who which by the way has a huge nicotine you know when people talk about oh nicotine's bad for you guess what big pharma sells nicotine like crazy in their gums in their patches that are advertised on TV what the hell is the reason? Why aren't they listening to the science and the scientists, these very same Democrats who are justify, who are correctly critical of Republicans for not listening to science on climate change? Those same Democrats are not listening to science when it comes to something that could save half a million lives a year in, in these United States. It's a, it's, a, it's a mystery. Some of it, uh, Brad, is money, I'm sure, and, co- and political contributions. I know we have one state senator, uh, Mark Leno, from San Francisco, out in your way in California, that's caused a tremendous amount of problem. And he was basically 
I would consider him to be the prime force between the situation you are in in the state of California right mm-hmm. now with the bills that Governor Brown just signed. Um, but also its ideology. You know, I mean, I have had um, two sitting U.S. senators, and I'll name both of them mm-hmm. on, on the show tonight, that have literally told friends of mine that are small business owners that own small vapor businesses, have told them to their face, I want to wipe you out. And one of them is um, Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, and the other was Senator Durbin from Illinois. Wow. They told my friends, it, with uh, Senator Warren, it was at an open house at her office mm-hmm. um, in Springfield, Massachusetts, her district office, and with Senator Durbin, it was uh, in Washington, D.C. These... That's been in the last, uh, this year, last two months. And I take I take no joy in uh, calling out those you know people like that senators like that uh, for doing exactly what it is that Republicans claim they do. Generally, Republicans are lying about it when they say, "Oh, they're Democrats want to you know regulate your life, put put people out of business." Here, they are actually doing it. And someone like uh, Elizabeth Warren, for whom I have so much respect to do something like this, uh, it feels to me like she just must not understand the science, must not actually read the scientific reports that I'm reading out there. Uh, I mean, do you get the sense that uh, she knows what the hell she's doing when she makes this call? Or is she being misinformed by people in the industry, whether it's, you know, big tobacco, big pharma or big anti-tobacco who are afraid that the e-cigs are going to somehow uh, lead to the normalization of smoking again, which is ridiculous in and of itself? Well, in a sense, Brad, it's partly on the industry for not being active enough early enough in getting out and educating legislators as business owners Mm -hmm. um, and counter the information they're getting. I would say that most of the information that these people, the one thing they have in common is they're probably all very close to the American Cancer Society. Um, The American Cancer Society obviously is, is funded to some extent, um, by the same mm-hmm. giant pharmaceutical corporations that make nicotine patches, lozenges, and gums, and view my business and thousands of other small businesses in the country as competitors. Um, the ACS spent, so you guys know, the American Cancer Society Action Network spent last year lobbying in Washington, D.C., $3.6 million in the first three quarters of last year. Um, I would assume that most of that, mo- most of that lobbying money spent was spent to advance this rule that came out last Thursday. Well, so that's something to wrap your mind about with, around with regard to the American Cancer Society. I've come to view them as a, a really horrible organization. Um, there was a tremendous article put out in the International Journal of Drug Abuse recently that was co-written by David Sweener, who's an anti-smoking activist, from Canada, mm-hmm. and a professor who I'm drawing a blank in his name from uh, the University of Buffalo. And that article said that these public health groups, some of us have taken to calling them public harm groups, um, are specifically concealing differential risk information from consumers in the United States on these, on these products, um, that they understand and know that they're vastly, dramatically less harmful all of the science would seem to indicate that than smoking, yet they continue to um, fight for them to be essentially banned. And, and this rule will ban them. I mean, in small businesses, looks like um, would be three years from today. If something isn't done legislatively, 
or judicially. I, I, Chris, I, I am seething with rage. I, I got to tell you, uh, because I, you know, I'm familiar with what uh, a group of 53 leading scientists sent a letter to the World Health Organization. Uh, this was last year. Actually, this was 2014, uh, warning them that e-cigarettes are part of the solution uh, in the fight against smoking, not part of the problem. They write, these products could be among the most significant health innovations of the 21st century, perhaps saving hundreds of millions of lives. Uh, the urge to control and suppress them as tobacco products should be resisted, they wrote to the World Health Organization. And then you have the Cancer Society, uh, like you suggest, Chris, um, seemingly saying otherwise. Is there evidence? Are you aware of any evidence? I've tried to read the reports that I can. Uh, people misunderstand. They think that nicotine leads to cancer. It ain't the nicotine. It's all the crap in the cigarettes uh, that kills you, the combustion, the burning, the chemicals. Uh, are you familiar with, does nicotine cause cancer? Um, I don't think it's, it's not really considered to cause cancer. There's a famous quote um, out there that people smoke for the nicotine but die for the tar. Mm-hmm. I think there's also a good bit of scientific information out there um, that, that would indicate that nicotine that is taken, inhaled in the form from an electronic cigarette or a vapor product um, is actually less addictive than nicotine from a combustible cigarette. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, there are over 7,000 chemicals in cigarette smoke, and many of them act in concert with nicotine to make it more addictive. And if there's also, to some extent, when you're smoking, nic- combusting tobacco with nicotine in it, um, it's creating a certain amount of what's called freebase nicotine. I don't know if, everyone, if anyone's old like me and remembers Richard Pryor when yeah. people used to freebase cocaine yeah, in the yeah. 80s. Yeah. Um, that's basically that same process can happen to a certain percentage of the nicotine molecules in a cigarette when they're combusted. Well, so, um, you know, you get nicotine a lot faster through smoking. Um, and there's, so, no, there's no evidence that I am familiar with of anyone who has died from vaping. Lots of people died from smoking, but no evidence uh, died from vaping other than one guy I had read about who actually tried to kill himself and he uh, shot up with uh, the juice. He actually shot, you know, used a needle to shoot it into him in order to kill himself. That's the only death that I'm familiar with tied to vaping. There is one death of a, of an, a child, uh, an 18-month-old, that was in upstate New York uh, about a year ago, Brad. And that child, um, I know there's some organizations mm-hmm. out there like to hold that up as a thing, but the child did not die as a result of exposure to finished e-liquid product, which is a very dilute mixture of mm-hmm. nicotine. That child died because the parents mixed their own e-liquid and they left uh, the guardians there. Apparently there was a jar or a bottle of Mm -hmm. um, very high-strength nicotine concentrate sitting on a low coffee table, Mm -hmm. and they turned their back, and the child got access to it. And that high-strength nicotine can be dangerous because it's um, transdermal. So uh, effectively, if the FDA bans uh, the legal sale of all these products and makes it a federal crime, people will be making their own. And the number of households that will have that, that... nicotine concentrate that could be potentially dangerous and it would skyrocket and there'll be more stories like that unfortunately they're making you're right and they're making they're creating a black market here uh more kids as i understand it die from eating 
cigarettes and household cleaners uh, than have ever been killed from uh, vaping. Uh, we got just a minute or two left. Chris Hughes, uh, owner of the Fat Cat Vapor Shop in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I hope that folks uh, listening on our uh, our Pennsylvania affiliate out there try to uh, help Chris out at the at the shop. Uh, but w- what will this do directly to your business? Will this put you out of business if this moves forward as it's currently plan- uh, uh, planned, Chris? Yeah, I mean, this uh, plan, if if it's fully implemented in three years and full compliance is required, it will close every vape shop like mine in the United States. And Jesus. the only um, other thing that we could say certainly will happen is, is smoking rates will skyrocket again across all demographics. As um, people, uh, there's 9 million adults currently, over 9 million adults using these products regularly in the U.S., and those people will seek... Uh, an alternative product. They're on an alternative. The the alternative for them may be to go back to smoking in many instances. And, and half of those people will die prematurely as a result of smoking. And, and if, that's the catastrophe. It, it it would be a catastrophe if you know someone. Even if you're, and this is one of the reasons I'm, I'm you know covering this issue because it is not being covered. And I know a lot of people are listening. They're not smokers. Uh, but they need to know, A, what's going on, and B, I'm sure they know smokers. They know smokers. This this ought to be a segment about uh, the miracle that is vaping and how people can you know help their mom or their dad or their sister or their brother or their, uh, someone they go to work with, how they can help them move to vaping. Instead, we're talking about the idea of people who have already moved to vaping going back to cigarettes. So what is it that people can do, Chris Hughes, to somehow help in this fight is there a place to go is there something that they can do uh to, to change the equi- to help change the equation on on this because boy if you got uh, even the democrats uh you know behind this scheme this is going to be a one hell of a tough fight well i agree and and something that consumers can do whether they vape or not is if they're interested and believe that adults should uh retain access to these products they can in- uh, join a group called C-A-S-A-A, the Consumer Advocates Advocates for Smoke-Free Alternatives Association. I believe the website is casaa.org. And if any of, if you are represented in the Senate by any of the people whose names I cited, please don't hesitate to call their office and tell them that you think that, that politely, always politely, but tell them that you feel very strongly um, that the senators should reevaluate their stance on vapor products. Yes, uh, please do. Please do, because uh, there's a lot of people who are going to die. Uh, if the, and I, you know, I, I don't want to again. Don't want to sound like those uh, Republicans out there. But this is a case where, yeah, the, you know, people are going to die if this happens. Um, just incredible. So C A S A A dot org. Go let them know. Let your voice be heard on this. Even if you're not a smoker, you got loved ones who are. And this is insane. This is madness. Chris Hughes, uh, owner of the Fat Cat Vapor Shop in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, president of the Pennsylvania chapter of the Smoke-Free Alternatives Trade Association. Uh, Good luck with the the fight, Chris. Let us know what we can do here at the broadcast to help you out uh, any way that we can. And you know what? It's selfish. I want to help myself out because I don't want to go back to those goddamn deadly cigarettes. Uh, and uh, man, if 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 the government forces me to, I ain't going to be happy about it. Hey, thank you, Chris, and and good luck with the fight, my friend. Thanks for having me, Brad, and uh, I'll be in touch. Thank you, brother.
Wow. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. <laughs> It's never a good sign when I have to count on the Green News reports to calm me down. <laughs> to make That's you never, feel a little better. Yeah, yeah, never a good sign. This is true. Uh, Chris uh, Hughes, uh, thanks again to him. I, it, he mentioned uh, during the break there, uh, he said that he was so disappointed with Democrats uh, that, uh, you know, had he known what they would eventually do, uh, he would have never spent all of those years passing out anti-Bush, anti-Iraq uh, War CDs throughout all of the Bush years. Just in case you think, you know, he's one of these, uh, you know, libertarians, right wingers, you know, pushing for vape. No, this guy, uh, you know, has been on the right side politically. Uh, frankly, I'd like to think as have I. And uh, and yet we got to call him out. Elizabeth Warren. Really? Really? Yeah, apparently, really. All right. Uh, so let's uh, get to it. This will uh, calm me down, right? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Our latest green news report. As the wildfire burns into a second week, it looks set to become the costliest natural disaster in Canada's history. Cooler weather slows growth of Canada's catastrophic oil sands region fire. U.S. officials warn the western snowpack is melting at record speed. Mobile Oil's CEO tried to warn of climate change back in 1982. Plus, I do think that there's a lot more room for agreement on climate change between conservatives and liberals than, than is often made out in the media. More Republicans accept climate change than ever before. Yeah, we'll see. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. 2014 was the warmest year ever. Until 2015 became the warmest year ever. Now 2016 might turn out to be even warmer than either of those. You know, you know what climate change is real? When the hottest year on record is whatever year it currently is. Ooh, Jimmy Kimmel said that on ABC television. He gonna get in trouble? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the pictures coming in from Fort McMurray up there in Alberta, Canada, continue to be jaw-dropping. The devastation for miles is just incredible. Yes, luckily cooler temperatures and light rain have slowed the growth of the fire, but officials say that it could be months before that fire is entirely extinguished. Officials estimate some 2,400 structures have been destroyed. That's according to the latest count. The fire already ranks as one of the worst natural disasters in Canada's history, with preliminary estimates of economic losses estimated to be as much as nine billion billion dollars, not just from insurance losses, but also the hit to Alberta's economy from having to curb tar sands oil production, from which Alberta gets a significant portion of its revenue. And it would be irresponsible if we did not point out that the fire right smack dab in the middle of Canada's tar sands oil region is because of the extraordinarily hot and dry weather that is directly tied to climate change. And scientists say the wildfire problem will continue to get worse as 
the planet warms, wildfire season is already now two months longer than it was back in the 1970s. Here in the U.S., the Federal Natural Resources Conservation Service is warning of another intense fire season here, announcing over the weekend that in the western United States, the snowpack that had built up because of El Nino is already rapidly melting out at, quote, record speed. From Alaska to Washington to Wyoming, the service says snowpack is melting so quickly that flooding is a possibility in some areas in the short term and warning that in the long term, intense wildfires will follow this summer as the forests dry out earlier. And that's also bad news for those of us out here in the West amidst this historic drought in uh, Southern California and elsewhere in the West. Meanwhile, in politics... Global warming and that, a lot of it's a hoax. It's a hoax. I mean, it's a money-making industry, okay? It's a hoax. Presumptive Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump has said that climate change is a hoax, but a new poll shows he's out of step with a growing majority of Republican voters. According to a new survey from Yale and George Mason University, 47 percent of conservative Republicans now believe that global warming is happening. That's a 19 percentage point jump in just the last two years. The survey found two thirds of American voters support funding research into renewable energy and policies to cut emissions. But the researchers also found that most of those surveyed don't know about the overwhelming consensus on climate change among the world's scientists. That's including Democrats. Less than 20 percent are aware that 97 percent of climate scientists agree climate change is man-made. That could be helped if we talked about it more, according to CNN environment columnist John Sutter in an interview on the broadcast. A pretty large majority of Americans never discuss global warming or almost never discuss it. One important message that we've gotten from, you know, these ongoing surveys is that we need to talk about this more and we need to talk about it not just on the news, but, you know, with each other, uh, you know, at family dinners, that sort of thing. I mean, it it sounds hokey, but I, I think that that really is the way that you start to open up these conversations. Another way to open up these conversations, as I mentioned to John Sutter when I interviewed him, is if CNN itself was talking about it more. Yeah, he's talking about it on the website, but uh, on air, good luck finding conversation about climate change on CNN. Finally, new evidence has emerged that Exxon isn't the only oil company that knew burning fossil fuels would cause global warming decades ago, even as it denied it publicly. According to a new report from Inside Climate News, back in 1982, just as the oil industry was beginning to exploit oil deposits like Canada's tar sands in Alberta, the chief executive of Mobile Oil wrote a published essay warning that burning the tar sands could accelerate dangerous global warming. He said he hoped that federal scientists would figure out a solution. Mobile oil was later bought by Exxon. Yeah, just let the federal government deal with it. They'll figure it out. Same people who hate the federal government. Imagine that. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your... Green News Report. The more you ignore me, the closer I get. You're wasting your time. No, it didn't work, Desi. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Not feeling any better. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and of course to Chris Hughes of Fat Cat Vapor in, uh, in Pennsylvania uh, to see what you can do to save lives and save vaping and kill cigarettes. Stop by casaa.org. 
Thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. always hear from a lot of people after vaping shows for some odd reason. You can find me and follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. Use hashtag Bradcast. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.